Welcome to Orphaned Entertainment, the podcast who for the past 10 years has dedicated itself to the discussion and review of public domain and abandoned media. I'm your host, Christopher, and with me is the woman who needs no introduction. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> if you don't know who I am by now, where the heck have you been for the last decade? <laughs> Oh, hi, Lydia. How are you? I'm great. I'm so happy to be here today, Christopher. How are you? I'm doing very well. I am also very just happy and excited to be here and talking to about another fun film out of the millions, (laughs) trillions, quadrillions out of out of the world of public domain. (laughs) I want to first thank everyone for tuning in to this month's episode. Uh, Orphan Entertainment is available wherever you can get your podcasts. Wherever you listen, if you have the option to do so, please rate and review the show. It does help get the show out to more people. Another great way to get it out to other people is just by sharing the episode you're listening to on whatever social media platform you might use. You can follow the link in the show notes to all our social media sites. You can also find our YouTube channel, and you can learn how to support the show financially. If you'd like to go old school and send us an email with any comments, suggestions, or feedback on this or any episode, please type or record a message and send it along to orphanedentertainment at gmail.com. You can also find all these links on our webpage, and that's at orphanedentertainment.com. With that, we'll take a short break and listen to a five-minute mystery. And when we return, we will see what 1938's letter of introduction has to say. Sergeant, my name is Tony Blake. I run this gas station. Let's have the details on the shooting. It's pretty lonely out here in this mountain road at night with just an occasional car or two going by, so I always keep my radio turned on. And you got the announcement of the gas station killing at Fremont Valley. Yeah. The minute it came over the radio, I had a hunch the killer would be heading this way. What did you do then? I set myself out in the road with my rifle. When did he come along? About 15 minutes after I heard the news on the radio. I heard the sound of a high-powered car moving very fast around Carton's Peak. That's about a half a mile from here. Yeah. Well, that told me he'd be here in about half a minute. When the car came around the bend, I began waving my arms for him to stop. He had me caught square in the glare of his light, so I lifted up my gun. What happened then, Blake? He slowed down and had almost stopped in front of me when I saw him lift a gun behind the wheel. I fired immediately. The car started to swerve, and before I could stop it, it went down the road and tumbled off the cliff. What type of car was it, Blake? It was a four-door sedan. You sure? Of course, why? The car the killer got away in was a two-door sedan. It's a pretty bad smasher. You recognize the man behind the seat? Shine the light on his face, Inspector. Good heavens! What's wrong, Blake? This is Charlie Thompson, the man for whom I leased my gas station. I'll, I'll tell you the truth. I have nothing to hide. It was an accident. I, I thought he was the killer. There is a gun on the front seat. Yeah, he always carried one. Afraid of being robbed, he used to tell me. After you heard the news flash about the killer being loose, you're certain that no other cars passed? Definitely. 
Did you phone right after the wreck occurred? Yeah, I didn't stop to investigate the crack-up. I wanted to stake police here right away. You notice the way his head is lying against the wheel? Yeah. The bullet passed right through his forehead. It's a good shot. I thought I was shooting a murderer. You got that reversed, Blake. You mean a murderer was shooting. I'm arresting you for the killing of Charlie Thompson. What contradiction did Tony Blake's story contain that proved it to be a lie? In just a moment, we'll know, but first... Hello! Ahoy! My name is Adam. And I'm Nick. And this is the Bottom of the Stream podcast. A never-ending quest to find hidden movie gems on Netflix. (laughs) Uh, Every week we watch a random movie that we find on the stream, and we talk about it for about an hour. Uh, Yep, as well as that, we round up the news of the week, and uh, we usually mention what we've been watching at the top of the stream. Yeah, so if you're into Netflix and you enjoy watching stuff on there, give us a listen. Join us aboard our podcast boat as we navigate the perilous water. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. And now, back to our story. You're crazy, Sergeant. I tell you, it was an accident. Our story told me it was deliberate murder. Don't you recall you said you were caught in the glare of the car's headlights? If that were true, how could you have possibly been able to see into the car's darkened interior detect the driver raising a gun? Well, I thought I saw it. Oh, Blake, that story of the killer on the radio was just a good excuse for you to deliberately kill Charlie Thompson after you and he argued about his taking the gas station back from you. You shot him and then let his car roll over the cliff. Unfortunately for you, you threw too much light on the subject. Aspiring actress Kay Martin is in New York hoping to make her mark on Broadway. She intends to meet popular actor John Mannering, former star of the stage and recently having enjoyed fame on screen, who has returned to New York for his fourth marriage. As Kay is walking home on New Year's Eve with her housemate Edgar Bergen, they discover their house on fire. Edgar runs in to save his ventriloquist dummy Charlie McCarthy, while Kay runs in to retrieve a letter of introduction she has for Mannering. Handsome neighbor Barry Page runs in after her and ends up rescuing her from the fire. Barry invites her and Edgar to his apartment for a New Year's party and a place to sleep until they can find some new accommodations. Kay goes and meets Mannering and presents her letter. The letter explains that she is actually his daughter from a love affair from years ago. Mannering decides to make her his protege, but... Worried of scandal, they keep their relationship a secret. Rumors swirl and ends up ruining his upcoming nuptials. Mannering's connections manage to get Edgar Bergen a spot on a radio show, and Kay and Mannering sign on to a stage production. Concerns of appearing on stage again after many years and the guilt of hiding his true relationship with Kay drives Mannering to overdrink, jeopardizing his and Kay's future. 
This is the second time we have seen Adolf Menchu on the show. We saw him way back in 2016 when we reviewed 1931's The Front Page, which I remember us really enjoying. Mm -hmm. Menchu started his film career in the 1920s. Supporting roles gave way to starring roles, but by the 1930, his career began to decline slightly, once again appearing in more supporting roles. Fewer and fewer parts came his way as he got older. Menju managed to get one last leading role at the film noir The Sniper in 1952. The director of that film, Edward Dimtrick, was one of the ten writers and directors who were blacklisted by the House Un-American Activities Committee. I mention this because Menju cooperated with the committee in 1947, saying that Hollywood is one of the main centers of communist activity in America. He added, it is a desire and wish of the masters of Moscow to use this medium for their purposes, which is to overthrow the American government. And I'm guessing that was an awkward production to work on for the two of those. <laughs> Menju's political leanings brought him in conflict with several other co-stars, including Catherine Hepburn, who appeared with him in Morning Glory, Stage Door, and State of the Union. Hepburn biographer William Mann said that during the filming of State of the Union, she and Menju spoke to each other only while acting. Andrea Leeds had a relatively short career, beginning in 1933's Meet the Baron as quote-unquote college girl. She followed with several films and supporting roles, many uncredited, but she was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress in 1937's Stage Door. She retired from acting after marrying in late 1939. George Murphy was a popular song and dance man in many big-budget Hollywood musicals from 1930 to 1952, including Broadway Melody of 1938, which apparently came out in 1937, (laughs) Broadway Melody of 1940, and For Me and My Gal in 1942. He retired from acting in 1952 and moved into politics by joining the leadership of the California Republican Party. He was elected to the Senate in 1964. During his Senate term, Murphy developed throat cancer, and part of his larynx had to be removed. For the rest of his, rest of his life, he was unable to speak above a whisper. Wow. He ran for election in 1970, but lost to Gene Tooney. Tooney's successful Senate race in 1970 was reportedly the inspiration for the 1972 Robert Redford film, The Candidate. Huh. And last but not least, Edgar Bergen. Ventriloquist, actor, comedian, vaudevillian, and radio performer, and father of actress Candace Bergen. (laughs) Famous for being second to his own creation of Charlie McCarthy. (laughs) Bergen was an extremely skilled ventriloquist on the vaudeville stage. He and Charlie were seen at a New York party by Elsa Maxwell and Noah Coward, who recommended them for an engagement at the famous Rainbow Room. It was there that two producers saw Bergen and Charlie perform. They then recommended them for a guest appearance on Rudy Valley's radio program. They appeared on several shows, the Chase Sanborn Hour, the Charlie McCarthy Show, and the Edgar Bergen Hour from 1937 to 1956. Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy made their final appearance in a cameo in 1979's The Muppet Movie. (laughs) Edgar Bergen passed away shortly after filming that cameo, and Charlie was donated to the National Museum of American History at the Smithsonian Institution. I'll admit, I picked this film kind of because I knew there was going to be Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy (laughs) in it. Because I'm actually, I am a fan of, of, of 
Edgar Bergen in his work. But I didn't realize how much he'd end up being in this film. <laughs> and I, I probably should have, if I had bothered to really look to see in the timeline, <laughs> you know, he really got his start only a couple years prior to this. He was in his heyday. I should have known if he was going to be in a film, we were going to see some actual like <laughs> routines. <laughs> routines. Yeah. It's funny. This, I, so this is a huge gap in my knowledge. I had heard the name Charlie McCarthy, but literally my husband walked in while I was watching this and he goes, oh, Charlie McCarthy. And I said, I don't know who that is. And he goes, it's the dummy. <laughs> and I was, oh, oh, okay. So, uh, and then of course, when I saw that they were in the Muppet movie, I went, oh, that's how Jack knew. <laughs> of course. Uh, but yeah, it, it's interesting. It's not, uh, it, it's, you know, another one of those vaudeville acts that at the time were just mind blowing because nobody had seen it done before. And of course now we've seen it done so much that even the originator of this type of actor, one of the most famous of this type of act isn't shocking or overly exciting to us, but it's really fantastic to see. Of course, Charlie McCarthy, his appearance is like the, the quintessential dummy like they were like just what is it that when you think about a ventriloquist and a dummy this is the dummy you see in your mind so it was, it was really interesting i think actually it i'm not disappointed with how much he was in it even though it did of course feel like like little breaks from the storyline but this is a fairly dramatic storyline and so it almost is a relief to have that amount of comedy in it because without that comedy, there is no comedy in this movie. There's pretty much nothing funny in this movie except for Charlie McCarthy. I don't know. I feel it's a little bit the same. We've watched a few films in the past where it turned out to be pretty much vehicles for the comedians that were in the film. Mm -hmm. All of them were kind of made to be comedies. Mm -hmm. So like, okay, fine. This one, the fact that it was such a heavy drama... I actually was a little put off by the comedy routines. Mm -hmm. I feel like they were they were really just jammed in there. And it's those the comedy routines where in a lot of cases they don't always make sense for being there. Mm -hmm. Edgar Bergen would just be standing on the street and he'd have Charlie McCarthy with him. <laughs> and he and Charlie McCarthy would start talking and you know start talking and they they'd be doing a routine. I'm like why are you doing your ventriloquism on the street corner? You know, kind of thing. <laughs> it does make you wonder. Yeah, there are definitely anywhere that Edward, that Edgar Bergen goes, he has Charlie McCarthy with him, with the notable exception of the very, very, very beginning. And um, it, it, I, at the end, without giving too much away, there's a scene with them again. The end scene is them talking. And it's kind of funny. At the end of this movie, as they're d talking in the situation they're talking in, I kind of thought, I wonder if in this movie, Edgar Bergen has like, a mental disorder <laughs> because it's almost like, you know, like they say, okay, you know, use t they give like children or people who've been traumatized, like a, a toy or a puppet or a stuffed animal to, to like communicate through. Talk through. Yes. yes. <laughs> it, it begins at some point to feel a little bit like that, but the, the conversations they have are 
really funny because they really are kind of having conversations with one another. So the the interaction, the the there is a solid feeling of two kind of different personalities in it. And I love how Edgar Bergen is the straight man. Like yes. it's it's really entertaining that he I don't think he makes any jokes at all. All of the jokes are Charlie McCarthy. So they play off one another as though they are, you know, Abbott Costello, that kind of per- that kind of pairing. And so it they are entertaining. And if they had just been in it with no involvement at all with the other people in it, aside from being friends with them, I would agree with you. I would feel like, yeah, this was just like him dropped into his story and there's no reason for it. But he does start the movie with an, a clear interest in Kay in the main character. And at least that was my take on it. It seemed like he was, you know, interested in her romantically. And so then at least it, it felt like, okay, there's a reason for this guy to be around. Like he's not just hanging out, making wisecracks. He's not just, you know, <laughs> the Muppets up in the, up in the balcony, just commenting on everything going on. He's actually part of the story. Nope. I agree. In the very beginning, you definitely get the impression that he has his sights set on Kay. You know, he's, he's, he's got a little bit of a crush on her, but that fades a little too easily for me because it's a little bit like once he realizes that, um, what's his name? Uh, Barry. Uh, Barry. Once he realizes that Barry is interested and like, and Kay is interested in Barry. Oh, okay. And that's it. Mm-hmm. So there's no, yeah, they start conflict. hinting that, like, there's no conflict. They, like, hint that there's, there's going to be, like, maybe this little bit of a competition or a, a love triangle, and there's not. Yeah. It's, well, just, I mean, it's, there, it's over as quickly as it starts. There is kind of a love triangle, but not with Edgar Bergen. And that's an over that's an oversimplification of the statement, I guess. I, <laughs> it's not a love triangle in the traditional sense. It's no, a, a jealousy triangle more <laughs> than a yes. love triangle. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, <laughs> good point. The party scene, when they're at the big party. Yes. <laughs> She's sober. She's... <laughs> uh, tell me some more. I want to be your friend. Mm-hmm. Well, you could be my friend if you'd do me a little favor. Oh, I'd love to. What would, is it? Would you uh, loan me 50 cents until Wednesday? No, no, I couldn't do that. Uh, Tuesday until Monday? No. What's going on here? You don't mean to tell me that you're trying to borrow money from this lady. Well, I, I didn't mean to tell you, no. No, no, worse than that, I didn't get it. I <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm glad you didn't give it to him. Yeah. And that reminds me, young man. Uh, I left a quarter on my dresser this morning. Yeah. Yes. And when I came back, the quarter was gone. It was? Yes. And we are the only two people up there. Well, there's always a... There's a... Mr. Bird. <laughs> you realize what you've said? Yes, I do. You realize what you've done? I do. Well, that's the last straw. The man has called me a common thief. Now, listen, John. If I've made a mistake... Oh, there's nothing you can do. I want to apologize. There's nothing you can do, Mr. Bergen. That means the wrong is done. Now, listen. No, 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 no. Listen, John. I'll be glad to apologize. No, 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 no. There's nothing you can do. All right. I'm sorry. I want to apologize. You do? Yes. I really don't think you took it. Don't you think I took it? I don't think so. Uh-huh. And I want to apologize. You know. Yes. Will you forgive me? Uh, well, you won't mention it again? I'll never mention it again. All right. I'll forgive you. Thank you. Yes. 
Now that it's all settled, is it all right for me to keep the quarter? Well, <laughs> I don't think that's very funny. You don't know. Well, then why did you make me say it? Oh, I see. <laughs> that kills him, yes. <laughs> You're not so clever either, Mr. Bergen. Oh, I'm not. No. I can see your lips move. Oh, you can. <laughs> that burns him up, you know. <laughs> yes. I'll hear about this when I get home. <laughs> yes, you will. <laughs> well, I'm sorry about that. Will you watch it, please? I will watch it, yes. Yes, it spoils the illusion. Yes, I will. <laughs> After all, there's no use of us both being dummies. No, I... <laughs> That's the one time where it's like, okay, this fits. That's why you should be here. That you know, it makes sense for him to be um, doing his his shtick with Charlie McCarthy and everything. Mm-hmm. It's all the other times where you just, like you said, you, you just wonder. Like, but honestly, I think um, I do think Edgar Bergen himself used Charlie McCarthy to say and do things that he couldn't otherwise do. Oh, in, certainly. Um, and some of it was on stage too. Charlie McCarthy was able to get away with a lot because he was a wooden dummy. <laughs> right. Uh, if you watch some of his routines and you read some of the stuff that he says, you know a lot of that stuff would never make it. You you wouldn't get would have got pulled off stage. Mm-hmm. Mm, interesting. But he could do it because it was he was a he was a toy. He was a puppet. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah, I, I do think Edgar Bergen. I think. Even if he didn't start out that way, I think he found that he could communicate certain things better through McCarthy, Charlie More McCarthy. Yeah. 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 He was very connected with Charlie McCarthy. I think <laughs> I, I read that when he passed away, he had actually changed his will. He left Candace nothing and left like 10 grand to Charlie McCarthy. Oh, wow. Interesting. I mean, and, you know, we think about that like with our cat, right? We've got a cat bearded dragon and it's like, if we passed away, how would we provide for this cat not to just be either chucked out on the street or, you know, put in an adoption place? Like we would want our cat, we'd want our pets to be cared for. I don't know that anybody would ever inherit $10,000 to care for our pet. And I'm pretty sure Charlie McCarthy probably didn't cost that much to take <laughs> care of. <laughs> I can understand, you know, having... Uh, especially with something that feels like a real person to so many people, having that emotional connection and wanting that emotional connect, that fig, that figment or figure of connection to be provided for and taken care of and not just discarded. Mm-hmm. I can understand that being a fear of his. And so him making the effort to provide for that. But that is $10,000 when he passed away would have been, you know, not a, not millions in today's, you know, but that's right. almost enough to buy a house in 1978. Right. It certainly was more than enough to buy a vehicle. So that's a lot of money. That's like leaving 40 grand to take care of a puppet, yeah, which is you, very interesting. You read some uh, articles uh, with in, interviews with Candace Bergen, and you get the impression that she's really trying to like walk a tightrope because she did love her father, mm-hmm. but you definitely feel like there's some underlying resentment for you know his apparent affection for a wooden prop mm-hmm. over his family, you know, over his daughter. But I just kind of said it offhandedly. I, you know, I kind of feel like maybe he's. I'm not implying that Edgar Bergen had a mental difficulties or anything like that, but I mean, 
like I said, there you can get that emotional tie, and it makes you wonder if he didn't find that he was old, that if he didn't develop a dependency eventually on Charlie McCarthy to be able to communicate freely with people. You know, if almost like in this movie, for after the first scene, I don't think you see him without Charlie McCarthy at all. No, and I don't believe he, so. Yeah, if he didn't just develop that reliance on always having something to divert people's attention either away from himself or to facilitate that communication. And I'm completely speculating here, guys. Don't, you know, don't take this and run with it on on social media or anything like that. I'm, I'm, but it is, you know, you can see, I could see how that could happen, how then he would become dependent on that. And it could, you know, definitely impact how he would relate with his own family and other people mm-hmm. as well. Well, and you hit on it too, the uh, the fact that you really feel like if you didn't know that or see that this was a ventriloquist dummy, mm-hmm. there are two distinct personalities. Mm-hmm. Um, and that creation and that interplay between the two is what made them so incredibly popular. Yeah. I mean, don't forget, he was the ventriloquist's on a radio. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he was insanely impressive. popular ventriloquists on a radio. Yeah. Um, and it was because of that interplay and that there was people that didn't believe, they, they thought Edgar Bergen was the dummy and Charlie McCarthy oh, was the real person. That's I mean, so funny. Uh, they were incredibly popular because of that. People because of the two personalities, because yeah. those two very separate uh, personalities and the way they, they, they played a, against each other, yeah. you know, with the comedy and the straight man and, and everything. But yes, I have listened to a, some of, of their radio programs, you know, the Charlie McCarthy show and that sort of stuff. They are funny. I do find them fun. Yes, they are. Um, I, I think it's a very heartwarming sort of moment when they make their cameo on uh, the Muppet show, on the Muppet mm-hmm. movie. They were apparently actually on the Muppet show. I don't remember that they were on there. They were like the first season, I think, they were on the Muppet show. Wow, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that when they make their little cameo um, in the Muppet movie, I thought that was, it was really sweet. And the, of course, the movie is actually dedicated to Edgar Bergen oh, and his memory. I didn't um, realize that. I didn't make the connection. I've, I've only seen it, bizarrely, I've only seen it once or twice. But... And it came out the year I was born, I think, or the year before I was born. So not something I grew up with, but right. th- that is interesting. I, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know who Ed Ber- Edgar Bergen was before this movie. For me, this is a brand new, a brand new thing for me. So it is. Well, and he's pr- obviously not the first ventriloquist and, no. you know, but he's probably one of the most famous ones. And he, I think he really, um, he cemented the idea that you could kind of tell story and be have a you know, use ventriloquism, use the, the the dummy and everything as a tool to communicate with, mm. and that brings us up to like the Muppets and Sesame Street. I mean, mm. that all kind of stuff. Yeah, that you, that's interesting. I didn't even make that connection. Right, and yeah, you have you can take that all the way back to him. No, he wasn't the first. No, he wasn't the only one. But he was the one that had, like, the attention of everybody. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it can't be – I don't think his significance is can be kind of underplayed. Yeah, not not when you take it and expand it out to any kind of puppetry 
and especially puppetry communicating between people. That's really fascinating. It's an interesting concept. And, and, and I think the thing that sets this apart from some of the other kind of stinker movies we've seen where there's been uh, some kind of vaudevillian act that the movie has been a crutch for the act, a lot of those we didn't really find to be that funny. Whereas, as you said earlier, like his, his sketches are actually funny. It, even in this movie, as you're watching him, yes, there are people standing around, you know, responding and laughing. But what he says really is funny. It really is cute. And you would chuckle whether or not there's a group of people on screen laughing about it. You know, mm-hmm. it's clever. It, it's clever is really the right word for it. So I think that helped me along with this, too, where it didn't feel like it was a crutch for a, an act that I otherwise didn't care for. It is funny, and it would have been actually really interesting to see just him by himself. Uh, and I think that if that weren't the case, I would have probably not cared. For, it would have stuck, poor, struck poorly for me a lot more than it did. Like you said, the other films were comedies that were definitely made for the comedians, the vaudevillians that mm-hmm. were starring in the film. This one, I just feel like it was a bit of a shoehorn fit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that I didn't like seeing them. I just felt like it was forced. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I felt, it, and I felt like it was much less forced than in other movies we'd seen. Interesting. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Yeah. There you go. There's that heated argument I was hoping for. <laughs> yeah. But they are not the stars of the film. They amazingly, aren't. they as as popular as they were and everything at the time, they did not get top billing. They got big billing. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they did not get top billing in this. And actually, Adolf Menju is, I think, the the top billed star, um, even though the film kind of um, follows Andrea Leeds. But that, I suppose, is pretty typical for the time. What was your take on him? I'm, I'm interested to hear, like, how you responded to this character. Uh, of John Mannering? Of John Mannering, yes. That's another one where it's... It's a little weird, a little sudden. Uh, when we're introduced to him, he is so full of himself. Jules, it was a cloudy day. The cemetery of Père Lachaise was the slate gray of a Joseph Pennell skyscape. I walked down the path past the tomb of Eloise and Abelard, and I stopped in reverence before it. Before the memory of their love that no man could put asunder. I beg your pardon, sir. That no man could put asunder. I went on in the mist until I came to where your sated grandmother lay. And there, one by one, as you directed, I let drop the sprigs of heliotrope. It was kind of you to remember, monsieur. For a friend, it was nothing. You stupid fool. You imbecile. I told you not to darken it too much. I wanted a bit of grey kept over the temple and you've made it look like a toupee. On the contrary, sir, a touch of grey would look infinitely more studied. Stop lying. Tell me what you want. There are a number of important matters, sir. Tell me all, Jules. This letter from Lou Woodstock. Well, what does he say? You old horse thief. Just a salutation of the letter, sir. Proceed. You old horse thief, I sent you a play three months ago. You needn't read it. Just say you'll do it and get back in the theatre where you belong. Affectionately, Lou. Uh, take a letter, Andrews. My dear old friend, nothing on earth could ever induce me to return to the theater. You rat. Is this it? Yes, sir. I shall keep the manuscript as a souvenir, affectionately, John. Anything else? 
Yes, sir, there's a lady with a letter of introduction, sir. Well, tell her to leave it. I'm much too busy. With pleasure, sir. And a newspaper reporter. A journalist? Well, now, we mustn't be ungracious to the press. Has he a photographer with him? No, sir, but he may have a candid camera. They hide them in the most extraordinary places, sir. I'll get in five minutes. Talking no down more. to everyone that well, my see, he's, he's rude to his butler. He's rude to the guy doing his hair. He's rude to the, oh, someone wants to see. I don't want to see. You know, he's completely rude. And then when Kay finally gets into him, shows him the letter, oh, you're my daughter, bam, suddenly he's the greatest guy in the world to, like, <laughs> everybody. <laughs> wow, that's a an about face. Uh, even to his uh, his wife, he seems like he's really wants to make right. He's not rude to her. We it's never nothing. see him yeah. really rude to her or anything. So it's like, mm. what's the deal with setting him up as being this ass in the first five minutes that we see him if you're going to portray him as this this big friendly person you know personality through the rest of the film oh that's interesting that that is really interesting i did not come away with that same impression uh you know they they start off talking about him being a big playboy you know it's his fourth marriage they're going to get married next week and i don't know if you caught it she's the the fiance's name is lydia so (laughs) Worth mentioning, this is the first movie we've watched with Barry and Lydia in it. <laughs> but, <laughs> but his fiance, when they mention it, I think it's the reporters or the newspaper says that he's he's coming to New York, New York with his 22-year-old fiance. So he is, she's 22 in this movie. And they state it in the movie itself that his fiance is 22. And, uh, and so his daughter is presumably at least the same age as his fiance, at least. And of course, it's his fourth marriage. And she makes the point, the fiance makes the point of saying, I'm not going to put up with you messing around the way that all your other wives have done. The second that I catch you fooling around on me, I'm out. And um, obviously, she uses different terminology than that. (laughs) (laughs) It's not too far out, though. Not very far off. (laughs) No, Lydia, Lydia quoting Lydia. Uh, yeah, Inception. So, <laughs> um, but but I I took it as here's a guy that has been he has had insane levels of success. I immediately equated him with like Tom Cruise. <laughs> he's like the Tom Cruise of his era, and he's got three ex wives under his belt. Presumably, no children, or you would imagine they would have brought it up in the movie. And when he meets this young woman that has a letter from somebody whom he obviously knew for sure. And it becomes very quickly apparent that he cared for. It almost mm-hmm. feels to me like a first love kind of thing. And no, so, I definitely got that impression that this was like the woman he knew in whatever away. small town he came from. Mm-hmm. And he started to get a little bit successful and he needed to hit the road yep. for his career and she didn't want to go. Or she, he just took off in the night or whatever happened. Yeah. No, I, I think he actually has some discussion, some memory he, he shares with Kay. The first thing I remember was Mother cutting out your clippings and pasting them in a big yellow scrapbook. Later, I used to read the notices and pretend they were mine. Let's see, I, I played Ophelia with you and Rosalind and Roxanne. Oh, I was wonderful in that. <laughs> And of course, we went to all your pictures. I don't think Mother ever missed any. Sometimes, halfway through the story, I'd see tears in her eyes. If I asked her why, she'd say the scene was sad. 
Once I teased her about it. Said she was too old to have a crush on a movie star. She didn't answer, but I saw it hurt her, so I never mentioned it again. How little one really knows. Why do you say that? If I had only realized. But how could I? I was so young at the time, excitable, ambitious, without experience and a famous name to live up to. When she refused to leave Nashville and take to the road with me, I, I thought she didn't care. We quarreled. I meant to go back, but somehow the time never came. And he had to make there that decision between her and his play. career. Mm-hmm. And I, you get the feeling, you definitely get the feeling that that was kind of like, despite his successes and everything he's had, mm-hmm. he does, you know, harbor a little bit of regret about that. Yeah, I th- I feel like that's his marshmallow. That's his squishy center, where everything else has been all about success and career and pleasure and, you know, marrying women, being with women. He's known as a playboy. Clearly, he's fooled around on his past wives. But this is the one person in his, in his history that he really has a tender spot for. And so when he finds out that it's that woman's child and his daughter, I feel like it makes sense for him. It, it may be partly because I'm I'm a woman and I've got a dad and my dad is ridiculous about me. Hi, dad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes he's so, I think he's much more like kind of understanding and like, I don't know. I don't know the right word for it, but it's there's a squishy center that that like my dad has for his daughters, where he's he's supportive toward his sons, but there's it's different, you know. And so I I get maybe because that's kind of the relationship I have with my dad, it is easy for me to see him being like, oh wow, not only are you the spitting image of your mother, you know, whom you know he loved dramatically, uh, you know that John Mannering loved dramatically in this movie, presumably. But then to to have suddenly this connection and suddenly, you know, somebody meaningful handed to him where all his past relationships haven't been that meaningful since that first one. I felt like it made sense because I feel like also after his relationship or outside of his relationship with Kay, he's not changed. He yes, he chases after Lydia when she shows up at the restaurant. But once she goes, he goes and gets drunk, and he's just like, ah, "I'm going to go get drunk now." And so I feel like he doesn't change toward you know his butler or toward toward anybody else except her. And in in at the point that he is going to be in the play, and the butler is trying to get him to you know, get a, get a move on. It's time to go on. And he just is dismissive and dismissive. I feel like he's very consistent through it all and Mm. consistently poorly trying, trying hard, but very poorly to be a good father to her, but then also still, you know, stuck with this whole hedonistic, uh, entitled life that he's had up until now. So okay, and, interesting. Yeah, I, I I can see where somebody would watch this and listen to me talking about it and be like, "Yeah, you're reading way too much into it." <laughs> but I watched it, having watched it twice, and having kind of, first of all, I felt like he was a really interesting character. I really did. This Adolph Menju is a really, I think, a, a very good actor. I think he's got a, what we call a presence. He's got a presence, and when he's on when he's on the screen you really buy him as this kind of Shakespearean kind of like the only other person I can think of that's kind of like that is Alan Rickman. 
<laughs> where where you you know you can see him in like just kind of all of this i don't know gravitas and so um it, you can, yeah you i can see uh you can see adolf menju in uh a rubber headpiece yes you know, that's exactly what i, I was a shakespearean <laughs> actor <laughs> four curtain calls <laughs> or what is it nine yeah no i and, and he starts off i think quoting shakespeare in the barber chair mm-hmm. <laughs> So yeah, I, I I I buy it. I buy his reaction to her. I think much more than I buy Barry's reaction to him. Actually, having just said it a little bit ago, the idea that you know he had he harbors this little bit of regret about having to say goodbye to this one woman and everything. I guess that would be where his sort of about face or where his uh, sudden um, appearance of of affection and everything would come from. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I hadn't really put it together in, in a thought until I, until I said that talking to you. (laughs) Um, So yeah, that does, that does make a little bit of sense. Yeah. I, 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 I felt like it, it rang true for me. And I suppose too, I mean, it was a case where, um. Yeah, it wasn't a fool about face because a fool about face would be, oh, I'm going to tell the world. And that, yes, and he can't. He can't do that because this would be a little bit of a scandal because this mm-hmm. would have been a woman likely out of wedlock, a child out of wedlock. Oh, and, and more than that, it would tell his age. And, and early on, he says to his butler, you know, something about his age. And the butler says, you don't look a day over 45 or 42 or something. And he says, liar, I'm 56 or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and there's this real sense of pride, of misplaced pride with him. He's trying to like, even when he's in the barber chair, the guy's dyeing his hair. <laughs> he doesn't want him to dye it too much because he wants to like look respectable or mm-hmm. something. So a little bit of gray in the temples. But the guy ends up dyeing his whole head and, you know, that's. <laughs> You made it look like a toupee is what he says. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so he's obviously trying very hard not to show his age and especially running around with a 22 year old woman. Good Lord, man. Come on, grow up. (laughs) Yeah. And I get the impression too, that he's at a point in his career where he's not exactly sure where his career is going to take Mm, him because he is becoming, he's hitting that age where it's the roles maybe aren't coming as often. Mm. Uh, he hasn't been on the were. stage in a long time, and he feels himself to be above performing on stage. I'm a movie star now kind right. of attitude. Yeah. Um, it takes a lot of conjoling to get him back on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so there's there's a lot going on with him in this movie. Mm. Not all of it is said or shown outright. A lot of it is just quick asides or is just underlying just through actions implication Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i and i appreciate that i felt like you know we we talked about there this being a split between drama and comedy but the drama feels complex and interesting to me it doesn't feel like you know in most romantic comedies the conflict is kind of surface level and yes there is absolutely the opportunity multiple times for them to just say actually we're father and daughter and clear everything up but the the reasons for them not doing it for also, you know, the, the being born out of wedlock would be a negative reflection on Kay, not just on John Manning. Mm -hmm. And so in a way he's protecting her and the, the complexity of not, and even, even near the end at some point, somebody says, you know, are, are you going to tell anybody? And she says, no, 
and she gives her reasons at, you know, near the end about not telling anybody at that point. And, and it's again, complex issue, you know, it's not just, um, oh, I want people to know who I am. It's, it's, I, they're both trying to protect one another. I think that shows up in weirdly, like it's misplaced again. It's bizarre. If you've ever seen this, there's a movie called My Father the Hero with Gerard Depardieu. I have seen that. Yeah. And, and it's this, she, it's this, it's not quite like this. No, (laughs) not quite at all. Definitely different, but it's, it's kind of a similar theme where, you know, there's a daughter asking her father to do something and he does it in a way that he thinks will help her, but maybe isn't ultimately the best way to do it. And there's a similar theme through this, I think, where they both are trying to save face for one another and for themselves. And it leads to more complications than it, than the brutal truth really would. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about Kay then. If they're both protecting each other, they're not say, you know, she's not going around parading around that he's my father. Mm-hmm. He's not going around. She's my daughter. I wonder about the, the motivation of her to even go to him with this letter to let him know that she's his daughter. She goes, I get the impression because this is going to be her, 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 uh, her big break, her big break, because it's really weird. Cause she tells him, you know, I don't want anything for you. I don't want to complicate your life. Like, why are you here? <laughs> no fair. Well, so her mother's died. We've, we established that very, very, as soon as they meet, um, he says something about, I bet your mother looks the same just with grayer hair. And she says her hair turned very gray. At, at the end, you know, so we know that she's uh, she's lost her only other parent. Presumably she only has two like the rest of us. And so <laughs> she's so it makes sense to me to for her to try and connect with family. Presumably she doesn't have any siblings. Uh, we're going to just assume that her mother she actually talks about going to see his movies with her mother and her mother crying and then dismissing it as just being a sad part of the movie. But and her saying to her mother, you're too old to have a crush on an actor and her mother <laughs> like being really upset about it. And I, so, you know, I think I think it's reasonable to believe that she doesn't have any other siblings. I think it makes right. sense to to for anybody for who doesn't know their their parent even if you've met your parent but don't know them well at a certain age to want to get to know them and whether he she's able to through meeting him be introduced to directors who might then consider her for roles which is very likely i think that is a likely reason for her it, you know they mentioned she's a great a really good actress and it makes sense for her to go to somebody that's so well known and respected and say hey you know, I'm not asking you for any for any real favors, but would you be willing to introduce me to somebody and just give me a shot? You know, I'm not asking you to produce something I'll star in, but can you at least get me that just that introduction? It's here's an introduction so you can get me an introduction kind of thing. That's how I read it. I read it as I, I really do want to get to know you. And of course, she's thrilled to when he does respond to her in a positive way to continue to know him. But I think the original impulse is mixed it's mixed to want to know her father and then also partly because he really might be able to help her with her own life as well i don't want to complicate your life and she proceeds to really complicate his life <laughs> but not intentionally i mean you know he but it is her. kind of intentional because they've both decided that they aren't going to tell anybody so why is he going to be parading this young woman around 
you know, a week before his flipping wedding. Well, that's okay. <laughs> that's stupidity on his part. I'm going to call it what it is. I'm going to call an ace an ace. That's stupidity on his part. So not only does he not tell his 22 year old jealous fiance, this is my daughter, but then he takes her out somewhere very public and doesn't tell anybody else that she's his daughter. Right. And so inevitably, when it gets back to the fiance, of, and then he still, well, he does chase after her and try to explain to her, but of course she's gone. And so but he should have done that before he went out the dirt. Should have, could have, would have, man. <laughs> I mean, this woman comes in and sees her in his, in his uh, office, and immediately the hairs on the back of her neck go up. Yes. And Kay leaves. He has the opportunity right there and doesn't say anything. Well, to be fair, the hairs on the back of Barry's neck go up, too. As soon as he hears, oh, you're going to see John Manning. Oh, you're going to have dinner with John Manning. He has the opportunity to say, look, just tell me straight. Are you emotional? Are you romantically involved with John Mannering? I keep calling him the wrong name. And he doesn't either. He just is like, oh, okay, well, guess you like him more. I'm just going to bugger off. Can I say bugger off? Is that okay, guys? Yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> he says he just, boom, he's just gone. And so you have this, you know, of course, <laughs> you've got them both reacting the exact same way. And it, and so, yeah, it, it really is very, it, it, we think now it's very silly. Illegitimacy means nothing now. It really means nothing now. But... In the 1930s, it really did mean something still. And so for that time period, and I think that's a little bit of what makes me even more interested in this movie, is for this time period to have the main character be illegitimate is pretty risque. That's Mm -hmm. pretty like, uh, you know, usually you would have, well, they were actually married, but only secretly. And so that legitimizes it. And so then the character, but she is tainted. She really is tainted by this, this history. And so it is, yes. Is it silly that they don't tell anybody? Absolutely. It's silly. They should tell the people that they're closest to. It does make sense that they don't go out and just announce it publicly. But if you're going to marry a woman and not tell her that you have a child. (laughs) Yeah. I'm thinking that should have been the first person he told. Yeah. Maybe, maybe the only person. If you're going to tell one yes. person, it should be the woman you're going to marry. It, you would think. You would think. And it is interesting because he says when she comes in, he opens his mouth and he says, and then a- after uh, Kay goes out, he says, I'm going to walk her out. And when they get out into the hall, he says, I- I'm sorry I opened my mouth to tell her and the word just wouldn't come out of my mouth. And and again, there's that misplaced pride, I think. Yeah, so, and, and maybe, yeah, maybe it's a little bit of the air. Um, you know, because of the era of the time, the era of the time, um, because of the time, it's a little bit of, um, there's a stigma, you yeah. know, for him. There's, there's, even if he doesn't feel it, somewhere in his head, there's a little bit of shame. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. That's an interesting thought. I was taking it strictly from a perspective of he doesn't want people to know how old he is. Hmm. And a vanity thing. A vanity, exact. Vanity's the right word. Yes. Yeah, and, interesting. And, it's and just I think he it. would have been safe telling this woman he's going to marry because obviously he's it's not like she's well, going to get mad because she's 22. 
What right. if she finds out he's not twice her age? He's two and a half times her age. He does. I think he doesn't have the confidence that she'll stick around if she knows how old he is. But again, mm. we're inferring, right? Yeah, <laughs> which, I don't know. Which how... I appreciate about this movie. I like that they don't just come out and tell you, well, I can't tell her because she's 22 and she would never want to marry a man that is 56. You know, they never force that down your throat. They leave it a little bit up for interpretation. She obviously knows that he's been married before. This wouldn't come as a surprise <laughs> that he's he's been with another woman or anything like that. Well, I mean, Britney Spears was married for how long was it? Was it three hours or was it three days? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it wasn't to me, so I don't know. It wasn't to me either. You guys might be shocked to know neither Christopher nor I were ever married to Britney Spears. True story. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think it's... Yeah, there's a lot of interesting in this movie from a if you want to dig into it, if you really want to take a shovel and turn things over and, you know, ponder. I I, I want to mention Andrews, the butler. Uh, we didn't talk about Ernest Cossard, Cossard at all. He's very prolific. I think 140 credits to his name. And he's just the very straight laced butler. But he's... I like him. I like him in the, as this character in this movie, and I like his role in this. In a very, I think a very interesting, very interesting moment where he becomes the only person outside of Kay and John that know their relationship for a little period of time. And mm-hmm. I, li- I like the way that that happens. I don't want to give anything away by telling anybody, but I, I think considering he is probably the person that knows John Mannering better than anybody else in the world. I like that at some point he becomes privy to this information. And and you think if anybody could be told, it would be the servant, right? Mm -hmm. If anybody could be told, it would be told, it would be his, his butler or his, um, I, what do you call him anymore? It's not a footman, but his valet, his valet. Yeah. So, but even that, he, he doesn't even mention, even even his, his valet to whom he tells his real age doesn't know that he has this <laughs> daughter. It, it's just interesting, I think. Yeah, when that's definitely the, the person that is going to be the hardest to keep the secret from. Because... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is interesting, though. The, the points that you brought up, I actually was thinking about that. How interesting that he would risk her reputation by seeming to be involved with her, but not risk her reputation by admitting to being her father. Mm -hmm. It's just an interesting, again, I think misplaced vanity is probably the right word. Because if people think that she's his beautiful young mistress, then he's he's virile and he's masculine. But as soon as they know, oh, this beautiful young woman is his his illegitimate daughter, then it becomes, oh, he's irresponsible. He's old enough to be this woman's father. You know, I think there's Mm -hmm. those levels of of damage to his personal vanity. Speaking of inferring and everything, and I mean, you could infer, you could see where him running around with this young girl could actually benefit him for the, at lot. this time. It, even today. And for her, th- it's nothing but bad news for her because everything, even if she gets some big part, she goes to audition and gets some big role, there's going to be people like, oh, well, oh, we know how she got that exactly. part. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, biting my tongue, not mentioning actresses about whom those rumors have gone around. Mm-hmm. But exactly. And, and so, again, that's kind of where I see her protecting his reputation 
by not insisting, hey, I don't want to be known as this kind of woman. I don't want people to think that I'm only getting these roles because because I'm, you know, dating the producer, the the star actor, but she doesn't. So I see that as her protecting him or, or you know, kind of safeguarding his reputation too. I think this entire film is really kind of a, um, it's a film about the importance of communication <laughs> because everything that goes on in this film you could have put a stop to it immediately if you just talked to the people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even to the point of uh, uh, Barry's part, dance partner, Honey, who's mm-hmm. in love with him. Oh, yeah. Could have right away at New Year's said, Barry, I'm in love with you. And instead of letting him go off and kiss another woman, which he does, you know, which happens early in the movie. I'm not giving too much away there. She could no. have just said something right away. You know, hey, I, I've been crazy about you since we've started dancing together how do you feel about me? But it never happens. Well, it doesn't happen early. That's for sure. Barry pretty much plays the role of just the, the usual stupid male who can't see the, you know, the perfectly good, wonderful woman <laughs> right in front of him. Well, that's every woman wants to be thought of as perfectly good. She's a perfectly good woman right there. Why don't you just marry her? <laughs> that's why I got married. Cause my husband figured out I'm a perfectly good woman. <laughs> I just meant <laughs> there's a beautiful woman who loves him and she's right there and he doesn't see her at all. You know what? I ascribe part of that to his being a young man. Uh, you know, it's, that's a common, a common fallacy in that's the young true. male psyche. <laughs> and it, it's one of those things too. They're like, well, no, we're friends. Of course not. You know? Yes. Yeah. How many, how many, I of think you if you like a sister, right. <laughs> Well, you've told me that like four or five times. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, no, this. There, you're, I think you're right. I think that the, the. It's funny. I wouldn't have thought of this as. Hey, this is a movie. This is an indictment of poor communication. But I wouldn't have thought of it that way. But you are exactly right. This is like, the the what is the word for it? The morality tale. For poor, for poor communication. Communicate well or you're going to cause yourself and other people a lot of grief. Yep. Even Edgar Bergen, he obviously never said anything to Kay. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No, exactly. Well, certainly not himself. Yeah. 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 She probably knew that Charlie <laughs> McCarthy was all about her. I mean, I'm sure. <laughs> she didn't want the splinters, though. Oh, God. Oh, party foul. Come on. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm actually kind of impressed that you made that joke, not me. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I wanted to bring up, you mentioned that without Edgar Bergen, there is there is no comedy. That's not exactly true. When uh, Mannering and Kay go to the restaurant, there's another couple at a table. It's John Mannering and Lydia. What's Lydia wearing? That isn't Lydia. Stop squinting and eat your dinner. You'll sprain your neck if you're not careful. I don't care. I think it's terrible. Three weeks until the wedding and he's out with another girl. You wouldn't be calling Lydia, would you? Don't be absurd. The nearest telephone is yeah, right out although, there. Yeah, although, you know, that's the kind of thing that you always kind of want to kick the pants, so... Uh... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Busybody. Nose out, lady. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, um, yeah, so this is... It's just an interesting movie. I think um, we've covered all the main characters here. There's, uh, we didn't, we 
just briefly touched on honey, very, very, very briefly. And we actually didn't talk about Barry at all. But Barry's no, almost, really. a, I almost said he's almost a tool in this movie, but I meant in the in the inanimate object sense. <laughs> he is there to facilitate the misunderstanding or to, to maybe highlight the lack of openness about John and Kay's relationship. Mm-hmm. But I don't feel like there's a whole lot of him contributing to anything else in the movie. No, no, through most of it, he just acts like a little, um, like a little spoiled brat or something <laughs> through most of the film. Like, you know, Kay goes off with Mannering for one reason or another, and he's like, well, fine, you like yeah. him best, and, you know, storms <laughs> off. Like, and they're all, I swear, I think there's actually moments where he's like, what's wrong? Nothing, and just leaves. <laughs> and like, just goes. All right, fine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Poor communication. <laughs> yeah. Did he, to you, remind you of like a really young Ronald Reagan? Oh, interesting. I didn't actually think that at all, but I didn't think of that either. Hmm. Just his appearance, not the certainly not the way he, he spoke or anything, but just his appearance and everything. I, I feel like he and Ronald Reagan could have played like brothers or something in a movie. Interesting. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to scroll back through here a little bit and see Maybe if I can find a, a still of it. Maybe was occasional profile view or something like that. Yeah, interesting. I I can I could see that. It's not something that right. I thought of, but yeah, I could see that. Speaking of Barry and Kay, this is a Hollywood romance. You know this. The kind of romance only happens in the movies where they know each other for less than 12 hours and he is like ready to you pop know. the question. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah, he, he's totally in love with her. He rescues her from a flaming building, kisses her at New Year's Eve. That's it. He's ready to like settle <laughs> down with this woman. Yeah, Charlie McCarthy calls it love on a dime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I'm actually really surprised that hasn't happened to you. That's happened to me two or three times. Really? I mean, <laughs> every time I go out, it's like some other guy I meet. He's yeah. like, I've known you for three hours. Will you marry me? And I'm like, yeah. depends. How much money do you have? He's like, I'm a billionaire. I'm like, no, I, I couldn't be with a rich man. Please leave me alone. Let me get the door for you. Yeah. I do. <laughs> I do. Da, 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 da. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, in the format, they do have to abbreviate some things that would happen. I do get the feeling that they do know each other for some number of weeks. Um, they don't really specify how long they know each other before she actually goes to see Manor. Yeah, that's true. There is some passage of time that mm-hmm. takes place. And, um, and yeah, yeah, I I think you're right. I think there's not very much. But also, you know, this is not far off from a time period where, gosh, 38, oh, was, was, had the war started in 38? Oh... My father would be ashamed of me. <laughs> and, and I know that, that the U.S. wasn't involved at this point, but there definitely were people, yeah, 39 to 45. So we were, it was a year out. But there were definitely people that would meet and in a couple of weeks get married. I, I suppose that still happens today. I would love to hear if any of you guys have, a, anybody listening has a story of, yes, I met my I met my now spouse and three weeks later we were engaged or something like that. But, yeah. um, it, it, you know, it, but due to the format, I think some of it's abbreviated. Definitely. This is one of those stories though, where, you know, love at first sight, which we all firmly believe in hundred percent. All of us believe in love <laughs> at first sight. <laughs> 
But it, it there is there's a lot going on in this movie. There are a lot of moving parts, which is yep. no, again, absolutely. I think I think complexity in this movie for this era. I'm a little impressed with how how many real relationships, or at least seemingly real relationships, are in this movie. I feel like in most movies from this era, you get two. You know, you get like. Maybe two real relationships, but there's a lot of complexity. There's a lot of web weaving in this one. It made it interesting to me. All right. Very good. Should we move on to uh, rating it? I think we should. Yep. Um, okay. Yeah. I got I to gotta think. <laughs> I got to think if there's anything else I wanted to cover. <laughs> You're not just buying your. T- you're not just. You're not just buying time to come up with a rating. No, no, <laughs> no, no. I, I mentioned Barry and Lydia in this. Still pretty happy about that. <laughs> I went one weird note that I had, totally unrelated, as the lady that plays Honey. Uh, her name Rita uh, Johnson was Rita Johnson, and f- for some reason, I happened to notice that she. A few years after this, actually got hit in the head with a hair dryer, and it caused a brain injury. And she yeah, died I did not read that after a, a hair dryer. And I'm thinking, how heavy were hair dryers back then? Well, it, I what I read is that it was mysterious circumstances. Sort uh, of thing. I assume that was the uh, the been. reason she gave. But there's a lot of people uh, that wondered if it was an abusive relationship. Well, that's immediately what I thought. I thought a hair dryer falling on you would hurt, but it wouldn't cause a brain injury. So yeah. So hopefully that's. I mean, in a way, it's, I'm mixed. Hopefully that wasn't the case, and then kind of hopefully yeah. it was because man, what a freak accident. Otherwise, but I it would. I think she seemed like a fairly interesting and nice person in this movie. It would have been interesting to see her. It'd be interesting yeah. to see if there's anything else around that she did that we could catch up on. Yeah, and she just sort of disappears in this film. Her and uh, Barry run off and then uh we don't and think we see her again. That and that was the one sticking point for me that really bothered me. Because she and Barry run off and then suddenly he appears again. Right. He shows back up. And what happened what where's where's honey? honey? Yeah, there's, I'm, I've got a new a new title for a book. What happened to Honey? Mm-hmm. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay, let's go ahead and get into ratings. Uh, so I'll let you go first. Oh, thanks so much. You're welcome. Uh, Age before beauty. <laughs> for me, oh, that hurts a yeah. little bit. <laughs> well, it's also I'm not true. saying well, it's not true. I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying I'm more beautiful <laughs> than I than you are, but you are older than I am. <laughs> I've been given this some thought and I really just can't seem to get above a three for me. I feel like three is kind of like that wishy washy kind of thing uh, (laughs) rating, but it's, yeah, for me, this film, it's not that it's bad or anything. It's just, it's got some really enjoyable moments. It's got some fun bits, but for me, you know, some of those fun bits are shoehorned into an otherwise dramatic uh, story and it, it didn't sit as well with me as it did with you. And yeah, no, I just, I have to go with the three. It just, I'm not, I'm not saying you shouldn't watch the film. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying watch the film, but be forewarned. <laughs> mm, that's fair. Yeah. I think for me, I still am. I keep coming back to, I think for me, um, Adolf Menjus sold it for me. I think throughout this movie, he is, 
really interesting. For some reason, I find his character very compelling. And I find, I find Kay to be sweet without being like stupid, which is, uh, that's kind of a hard line to walk. I I think their, I think their relationship with one another is compelling enough to me that I enjoyed this movie more than I thought I enjoyed it the first time I watched it. Uh, watching it the second time, I, I, or, or actually, it almost is the other way around. It almost is the first time I watched it. I was kind of surprised by the complexity of it. And so I do want I'm going to go ahead and give it a four star rating for me. Not five. It, it wasn't the, you know, it didn't have David Niven in it. <laughs> right. Of course. <laughs> but it, it, there, I think there's a lot of depth and, and, and intricacy in this movie that you don't typically see in movies of this era. Um, the, I, Rain is the one movie I can think of that had more of that. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, we both, both of us just, you know, Rain is just a stellar movie. Um, this, this one, I think it's, it's interesting. And I, I, for the, for the twin reasons of having Charlie McCarthy in it, which if you've not been exposed to Charlie McCarthy, I think this is a great movie to be exposed to him on. Um, I like it because Edgar Bergen has some depth and some gravity, some emotional involvement in this movie. And I think that if he had just been in it as like the buddy, I wouldn't have cared for him in it. It wouldn't have made any sense to me. So I, I like there being a little bit of a romantic, you know, involvement from his side. So there's, it takes a lot of boxes for me. Okay. Uh, it, it takes a whole lot of boxes for me, but really weirdly my favorite part of it really was John, the John Mannering character and I think that Adolf Menju in this is really really enjoyable to watch especially because he's not just the perfect father figure I will tell you what I'll go ahead and go three and a half I just <laughs> I was really just sitting here thinking while you're talking I was thinking about uh, near the end with talking about Mannering mm-hmm. his final his his fate in the film yeah I'll admit it his actions surprised me. I mean, me I, well. I, I, I jumped. Oh, um, wow. Wow. I mean, I'm like, it really surprised me. Everything that led up to that and everything that happens after that moment just really kind of impressed me. And it was, so yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and give it like a three and a half. I can't, yeah. push myself up to that four. What you're I, very I, carefully not saying is exactly what clenches it for me on this for a four. Because, because it's not cliche. Mm-hmm. And the cliche is what you, I think, were waiting for to happen. Yeah. And it yeah, doesn't so. go into that cliche. And so I really appreciated that about this movie. I think that's part of what I'm trying to say when I'm saying complexity. Uh, I, I I appreciate the outcome of this movie pretty much on every level. Again, like I said, it takes so many boxes for me. Um, yeah. You know, I, we all know I love I love a romantic movie. And this is not a silly romance. It's got real drama in it. Right. And I'm I, just imagining I like 1938 audiences. Oh, goodness. When that moment happens, I'm I just got imagining chills when the, you said I'm, that. I'm imagining the gasp. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I got chills. I'm still getting actively chills as you're talking about that. Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, yeah. So now you guys have to watch it. Now it's a five. <laughs> now <laughs> it's still a four. But if you haven't watched this movie yet, I think it'd be, uh, I think there's, I think it's worth a watch. I really do. I'm not going to say it's the greatest movie out there. I'm not going to say if you, if you're going to pick between this and rain, pick this, but, um, 
I, I just think it has it has more body to it than so many movies out there. It, it, it the the other movie I can think of that I it feels just a little bit reminiscent of is one of my all time favorites, The Lady Eve. And there's not really a comparison there, but this is almost like if The Lady Eve were not a comedy. <laughs> <laughs> it would feel more like this. Not not comparing Andrea Leeds to um, to not comparing the cast in any way, but just the the kind of the way the story flows, the kind of the way the the drama of it unfolds. So yeah, definitely definitely worth a watch. Um, yep. Not it's funny. I went through the director and the writers looking for any other like just oh hey this director did this or this writer did this and, and it's kind of funny this is kind of an unremarkable movie there's not you know it's not the director just jumps at it you because they did this and this and this or anything like that it's kind of the it's kind of weird from the standpoint that there's not it's almost unremarkable except for it being i think a really solid story yeah. so yeah all right and on well, that note <laughs> yeah on that note yeah well thanks everybody for listening uh us kind of ramble on about this one this was a it was still it's a film that i'm glad that we sat down to watch Mm -hmm. um it's not a film that i would have watched otherwise so it's always uh, a lot of fun yeah it's funny one thing i did notice is if you're going through the um the cast list you'll see when you're looking at each of the people's individual profiles, they almost all reference this movie. So it makes me think maybe this movie's a bigger movie than we really realize it is, or it was maybe at the time that it came out. But um, yeah, interesting. Love to hear all of, all of our listeners feedback on this movie and what you think about it, what your rating would be and uh, what it reminds you of, or doesn't remind you of (laughs) what you wish it reminded you of, but doesn't quite. Absolutely. Look forward to hearing from everybody. You can send those emails to orphanedentertainment at gmail.com or come to any of the socials and uh, leave some comments there. Uh, With that, that will be it for this month. We'll be back another month with another film. Lydia, thank you very much. Always a pleasure. Yeah, this was a fun. This was more fun to talk about than I thought it would be. So that's always a good time. Yeah, that's going to do it. Bye, everybody. Bye.